the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Number two is underway on AM 1420. The answer, it's a Tuesday, the fifth morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2019. And it's a golden opportunity tonight for the President of the United States to take back control of the narrative from the lying liberal left. And I know a lot of that is redundant, but the President of the United States must seize this opportunity. We talked about him needing an Oval Office address. We talked about him needing uh, the chance to talk to the American people and tell the truth about why the Democrats are obstructing and resisting a border wall. president held that Oval Office address, and I do not, do not believe he took advantage of the moment. He had every network on him. He had all eyes in America on him. Anybody that was watching TV anywhere was going to see him. He did not take advantage of that moment. Tonight, he will not be limited in time to eight or nine minutes, as the networks told him he was last time around. He can speak as long as he wants. And he needs to take advantage of this moment. Joining us now for a more preview of the State of the Union and beyond is Peter Kersenow, uh, of course, a Cleveland attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, as well as uh, the host of the Kersenow Report you hear all the time right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning, sir. How are you? Doing great. Just uh, next week is the official start of spring, pitchers and catchers, 51 days to opening day. And I want everybody in Northeast Iowa to understand that there is nothing embarrassing in my yearbook. <laughs> you mean you didn't you didn't uh, dress in whiteface or anything like that? Uh, I don't think so. I'm I'm pretty sure I didn't. I can't you know. And if I do, I apologize in advance. But I don't think it was me. When I look at it, I'm, I I believe it was not me. Can you believe the statements this guy made? Yeah. How do you, how do you go from I'm deeply sorry for the offensive photo that I participated into? Oh, by the way, I don't think I really did dress as either one of those. How do you how can you not be sure? First of all, yeah, that, whether or not you ever pulled on a pointed hood in your in your life, or if you've ever blackened your face with shoe polish in your life, polish in your life, and then. And apologize for it and then say I didn't do it and then say but I did it another time that there's no pictures of I once did it as Michael Jackson so I could moonwalk at a party I'm beyond perplexed. with that one and with the Michael Jackson one Bob that was hilarious too because he said he just put a little bit of shoe polish on because he says anybody who's ever tried it knows it's difficult to get off which means he's put shoe polish on <laughs> before and on top of that as you just indicated I think everybody out in your listening audience knows whether or not they ever wore a Klan hood or put on blackface they would know that it's not one of these things where you say well I believe it wasn't me in other words it was within the realm of possibility but what strikes me about that Bob and and if I know you, I bet you had the same reaction, is that there was a greater hue and cry about a yearbook photo from 1984, not to diminish it, I think it was offensive and ill-considered, but in the grand scheme of things, just the day before, this guy makes one of the most jaw-dropping statements that any elected official could ever make, endorsing, and there's no way of getting around it, unequivocally. CNN, MSNBC, and everybody else may want to elide the matter, but there's no way of avoiding the reality of what he said. He didn't misspeak. He said it in a clinical, sober fashion, very slowly. He was deliberate about it. He knew precisely what he was saying. As a neurologist, he was, ex- he was expanding upon what this bill would do. And what he described shockingly, despite the fact that he did so in this monotone, it was not aggressive or anything like that, that I think enhanced how shocking it was that he was so just inured to the horror of what he was describing 
which was infanticide. And I don't even like the, the, the phrase infanticide. It was homicide. It's simply because you're killing a baby doesn't necessarily you know, uh, cause you to have to use another uh, a description of it. It's homicide, infanticide. It was killing of a young baby. And then what happened? The entire Democratic establishment stood up and tried to say initially, oh, we didn't hear what he said. We didn't hear it, right. Yeah, exactly. Because we we we've got to figure out how we can get around this debacle. And then they had a uniformed response, mainly simply trying to avoid it and saying that uh, we support the woman's right to choose. But choose what? Choose what? This is astonishing. But nonetheless, it was not a banner weekend for the Democratic Party as a whole, for Ralph Northam, his lieutenant governor. It's, uh, as somebody said, it's a real clown show, but clown show implies some type of humor and mirth. We're talking about, in the case of humor and mirth with respect to the whole moonwalking and everything else. I mean, that was just ridiculous, and this guy's not ready for prime time. But with respect to the statement about a fantasy, which... It, I, the, the suspicious part of me says that the release of the yearbook photo was done by Democrats or those who are in the so-called pro-choice movement to stop that conversation cold, because it does not help anybody who's supporting that agenda. And the fact that Democrats are on the record because Ben Sass very adroitly and smartly, you know, put that bill out immediately just to get everybody on the record for all those individuals out there who claimed that they didn't hear what Northam had to say. Well, they voted for what Northam was describing. Peter Kirsten, I was our guest, of course, uh, on uh, AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Pete, I'll come back to the abortion part of that in a moment. Um, but you have in your text messages something that I forwarded to you, uh, going back to the blackface part of this whole story with uh, Ralph Northam, the governor of, uh, of Virginia, for now anyway. Um, as he claims he doesn't remember ever dressing like this, there is a side-by-side photo from another picture in a yearbook where he is wearing the same extraordinarily identifiable, because there can't be another pair of them, plaid pants uh, that he dra- that he wore uh, for a regular photo with a shirt and tie and that he chose for his Sambo outfit uh, when he decided to go blackface next to his KKK hood-wearing buddy. Uh, so if you're looking for more evidence of it, it's in your twi- it's in your text messages, Pete. You can do with it what you will. I, of course, will share that with everyone that I can, including you. Now, hey, aside... Bob, you know, I, I yeah. saw that, and when I looked at it, um, first of all, the plants look almost identical. Um, yes. And I'm not a forensic expert, so I can't tell if they, they are. But when I looked at it, my understanding was in that photo, Northam is standing to the left, as you look at the photo, of the individual wearing the plaid pants. I may be mistaken about that, but I am not sure the guy in the previous photo wearing the plaid fa- pants is Northam. I think that's okay. I, I I can't tell. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell the age. Uh, you know how his face is age. He was obviously a much younger man there. Uh, I what I read was that that was him posing for a photo. Uh, if it if he was the other person in the photo who's cut out of it, then that that's a game changer. But it still doesn't change the fact that as we pointed out, one would remember whether one took shoe polish and smear. And by the way, he didn't put it on lightly either. He is pitch black. 
his face is in that photo. One would remember whether one did that, whether one wore the fedora that went with the in the bow tie that went with the Sambo outfit. I mean, really, he tried to be as clownish as humanly possible with it, going so far over the top. One would recall whether those pants are a uh, uh, you know something that confirmed this or not. Remain and, to be said. and one would recall <laughs> that just a year before he either authorized or stood by as others who supported him put out some of the most reprehensible political ads of all time. I remember when I That's saw right. them discussing it with one of my assistants in Washington. They were extraordinary. Having a truck with a the, you know stars and bars on a Confederate uh, symbol on it, chasing down Muslim, black, and Hispanic kids who were frightened to death, and the insinuation was this is his opponent was Ed Gillespie, the Republican. Right. As we know, the most milk toast and mildest of Republicans out there. But nonetheless, this is the 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 result if you elect Ed Gillespie. And they were trafficking in this as Democrats often do, playing the race card, and as the Democrats often are, hoisted on their own petard. Here, yep. in, in the case of race, in other cases, when the issue with respect to, you know, they went after Kavanaugh, now the lieutenant governor of, of Virginia is facing the same kind of issues. Uh, yeah, you know, what comes around, what goes around comes around, as they say. Yeah, no question about it. And one last thing on this, and we're giving it more time than it's due, quite honestly, because it should be about the abortion and the extreme comments that he made and has uh, doubled down on. But Pete, just, just to throw this out there, what kind of person would be okay with the nickname Coon Man um, in, his, in his medical school yearbook? He is described as having the nickname Coon Man. Now, people can, I suppose, interpret that maybe, maybe a few different ways, but considering the blackface photo, the admission and apology, then the, no, it wasn't me, uh, but then why do they call you Coon Man, Dr. Northam? And he is a doctor, and that's the worst part about this as we go back to the, uh, to the abortive side of this. He is a pediatric neurologist. He is, he knows how to care for babies. He knows what a baby is versus a you know you know something that is not. Uh, the idea that he is an actual caregiver for pedi- uh, as a pediatrician, um, Peter Kersenow, is is a staggering thing to me. There's just so much dirt and so much filth surrounding this guy. I'm not sure where else to go with it. Bob, you've just highlighted one of the things that hasn't really been addressed sufficiently in my mind, and that is. If he were, we play the game all the time, but if he were a Republican, what would have been the fallout? The fact that this photo was out there, I have a very, very, call me cynical, but I have a very hard time believing that the press or somebody in the press or somebody's in the press were not aware of this before this came out. In addition to that, it's extraordinary to me how quickly the press pivoted from those vile abortion uh, infanticide comments to this instead, as if to say, we know we're losing this debate. We support Democrats on infanticide, but we better get off this issue very quickly because this is this can't be a winner. The optics of this are horrid. So unfortunately, we're going to have to pivot to something that is less horrid, but still going to cause some problems. But we think we can get beyond it, either because this guy's going to resign or, you know, this is not as serious an issue, whatever it may be. But as you've just indicated, you know, here's a guy who's a doctor. He's fully aware of what he has done in the past. Again, for somebody to immediately apologize suggests that this was within the realm of possibility at the time. And then... From Goodwill and the Ad Council. 
All right, uh, 1025 now, the Bob France Authority continues with Peter Kirsten. Now, Peter, I talked to Eric Trump this morning, and I asked him about his dad's speech, and it sounds like he's going to do what most presidents do in State of the Union addresses. He's going to try to be all things to all people. He's going to touch on everything from drug costs to uh, health care to, um, uh, to the economy to military to foreign policy. He's going to hit all of it, but um, I-, I guess what I want to know is where do you think his focus should be? Should his focus be on a victory lap? talking about the growth of the economy, the jobs, and everything else that we know has been so spectacular, the great path that we are on as a country in the two years since he took over, or does he need to spend most of his 60 minutes hammering the Democrats on their hypocrisy over the border wall and protecting the United States from the incredible amount of drugs, gang members, human traffickers, and so on that flow across that border regularly? Most of the attention, Bob, should be on the latter. Uh, you know, when you do oral arguments before a court, I do tons of them. You want to, even if you've got a million different issues, you've got to settle upon one theme and hit that over and over again. And what I would do is, you know, you, you could do the same thing that most presidents do. And this president, as opposed to almost any president in my lifetime, has more than his share of laundry list successes. And he needs to go through them because they're profound. But he does so, I think, in a rote fashion. Here are all the things we've done with respect to the economy. You know, the unemployment rate at record lows, you know, record lows for blacks, Hispanics, women, GDP growth at extraordinary rate, manufacturing jobs coming back when Obama said those jobs aren't coming back, but they're coming back in, in droves, uh, pulling out of the Iran deal, pulling out of Russian treaties, uh, the Russian you know, nuke deal, oil and gas production at record levels becoming the biggest producer of oil and gas in the world you know all those kind of things tax cuts the reduction you know the the pummeling of isis even though there's still a threat out there all that kind of stuff but do so i would do it um in a rote fashion but he needs to stress the immigration issue number one politically he ran on a wall it's the most important thing number two the government shutdown is going to raise its ugly head again in just a few days 10 days Exactly. It's been the subject of uh, the political conversation uh, for the last two months. So he's got to stress that, especially when you've got a caravan right at the border again. The non-existing caravan, according to CNN and MSNBC, that's not a threat. He's got to establish it as a threat. He needs to have examples of why those are threats, not just with respect to MS-13 and fentanyl, but because of terror threats and uh, economic threats, environmental threats, all of the deleterious aspects of not being able to secure the border. Uh, So I think that's really important because this is his only real opportunity to see, to to address the masses of Americans in an unfiltered uh, manner, an unfiltered basis. He needs to Highlight his achievements because so many people haven't heard them. You won't hear these things from CNN, MSNBC, Washington Post. But the true thrust of it needs to be on immigration because at some point we know this. Nancy Pelosi is going to sit back there and not give him, as she put it, a nickel for the wall, which is immoral, according to her. Mm-hmm. So he has to build a wall because it was his signature campaign pros- uh, uh, promise that means there's only one alternative, and that is declare an emergency or, uh, actually, I think there's a manner by which he could get this accomplished without declaring an emergency, because there are other funds, according to the Congressional Research Service, that he could devote toward building the wall. But I'll leave that for White House counsel after they reviewed everything to make sure that he's doing it in a proper fashion, and the fashion that's least likely to be met with an injunction, or at least well, an injunction that can be overcome. 
Well, but Pete, uh, the Undersecretary of Defense for, uh, for uh, Policy, uh, John Rood, said he can do this absolutely without declaring an emergency, that it is within his power, and they have the funding put aside for it from the Department of Defense to build this if he says so. He doesn't even have to make the case for emergency, which then wouldn't have to go through the courts because it will immediately right. be challenged. So you're right. He has a lot of other uh, options there. But with respect to uh, um, uh, challenging the Democrats, uh, do you think that he will speak to, the um, the 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 actual crisis of of the amount of drugs that have come into this country because oh, because they say that he, they say that he's manufacturing the crisis he does not have to declare an emergency to point out the fact that there is a crisis we just uh, just uh, seized enough fentanyl to kill fifty seven million people in the largest bust ever and the other thing Pete as as you know the Democrats were, you know refuse to point out these caravan after caravan after caravan there's more behind the ten thousand strong one that is on its way now that are leaving in the next week or two weeks this is an out and out assault on our border you don't have to declare an emergency just to say how is that not a crisis yeah hey bob you should uh write uh the state of the union address i'll get in touch with stephen miller and see if we can make that happen. <laughs> but you're you're exactly right i mean i think he's got to address those things the fentanyl bust was extraordinary i think he will detail that because it's been part of his narrative before the thousands of people who've died from that the others who have died because of gang violence and other violence you know in past shows i've highlighted the the crime rates by illegal immigrants we need a sovereign country. We need a United States of America. We don't have an open border because we cherish this country and those within it. It's not to say that we aren't welcoming to immigrants, but you know what? There's a way to come in. There is a method by which you can come in lawfully, and you're welcomed with open arms. We're the most welcoming nation in the world, but we are a nation that abides by the rule of law. And the distinguishing fact between the United States of America and all the places from which these people are fleeing is we abide by the rule of law. If we import the kind of lawless culture that they're fleeing from, we're going to be just as bad as they are. I hope he calls them out to their faces tonight. I hope he turns around and tells Nancy. I hope he looks directly at Chuck in the audience, and I hope he uh, re- replays or restates their words and lets the American people know exactly how hypocritical they are and that this is about politics. This is not about policy. Uh, Peter Kersenow, uh Cleveland attorney, member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Always a pleasure, my friend. I know you've got to run. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Bob. Take you care. You got it. You got it. It's Peter Kersenow. we got news now. On the other side, finally, an opportunity for your phone calls. We've been slammed with Eric Trump. Uh, Jim Jordan and Peter Kersenow, now an opportunity for you to get in. 216-901-0945, What do you want to hear from your president tonight in the State of the Union Address, which you will hear live on AM 1420, The Answer. Your call's name. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority. On AM 1420, The Answer. Rolling right along at 1037 now. What an amazing array of guests today. Uh, We've had uh, the second son of the President of the United States. Eric Trump joined us in the first half hour of the program this morning, previewing his father's second State of the Union address. Congressman Jim Jordan, who was especially fired up today about the State of the Union, about the abortion issue and more, and Peter Kersenow, of course, uh, on some of those very same matters. Now I want to hear from you. 216-901-0945, What would you tell the President? 
If you had the opportunity to sit down in front of him today, if you got a call from the White House saying, hey, we want to Skype you with President Trump, we want to FaceTime you with President Trump, and he wants to know what you want to hear from him tonight, what you, what counsel you would give him, what advice you would give him in this all-important State of the Union address, what do you want to hear from the President? What would you say? 216-901-0945, TJ in Cleveland. Hey, TJ, thanks for waiting. Go right ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, I, I agree. I would... First of all, I would highlight the angel moms that are going to be out there uh, in the audience and make it a point that some of our legislators, you know, Nancy Pelosi, refuses to even meet with them. Uh, you know, there's so much stuff he could do. But the reason I called is this governor of uh, uh, Virginia. Virginia, yeah. Bob, this guy's a cartoon character. I mean, I, I'm in awe watching this. And, you know, let this be a lesson to the people. When you're dealing with a so-called professional, and you're sitting in that office, just because that wall might be plastered with degrees doesn't mean that individual isn't a dope. And, and it just goes to show you there's dopes in all professions. And just because a guy's a doctor or something doesn't mean he's some kind of infallible god. He might be a dope like this guy. Well, yeah, there's a lot of educated morons in the world. You can be highly educated but still be a moron. And obviously this guy, I don't think he's moronic. I just think he's been busted. I think he's been caught in a number of extremist things, including the racial issue, including the abortion issue. And he's devastated. He does not know how to respond to these things. That's why he's saying one thing and then saying, I probably shouldn't have said that. I'll go back and say something else. Uh, he's he's He is literally trapped by his own lies and he's trapped by his own uh seedy past and uh and and more importantly he's trapped by his own horrific present as a um as an underwriter of the murder of babies which is what he essentially was when he went on that radio interview yeah but i mean the way he handled it with his dopey attitude where he was going to do a moonwalk you know yeah. explain, <laughs> you know and his wife had to stop him i'm sitting there i saying, know this, this is supposed to be a highly skilled professional I mean, you and I could have handled this situation a lot better than this guy. He handled it like a big dope. Well, it gets even better, TJ, and thanks for the call, um, because I, I, I glossed over this with Peter Kersenow talking about the schadenfreude that we may feel, which is, if you don't know, it's a German word essentially meaning taking joy in the misery of others, uh, in the misfortune of others. It gets better. While the cries for Ralph Northam to resign have gotten louder and louder from Democrats, and I talked about why on yesterday's show, Democrats aren't being legitimate um, and actually outraged at Northam. They're not calling on him to resign because they are disgusted by him and the blackface or the Klan hood, whichever one of those two that he was. They're not actually calling for him to resign because they think what he's done is despicable. Not at all. In fact, if they were given an opportunity to, if they weren't in the middle of a very, very highly politically charged time where, you know, candidates have already declared, Democrats have already declared their run for president in 2020, uh, they would be defending him. But the reason they're calling for him to resign is because the core of their argument against Donald Trump the core of their case against Republicans in general is their ridiculously phony belief and narrative that Republicans are racists. You see, they can't go after the Republicans on actual matters of national importance, the issues. 
They can't go after the Republicans on the economy. They can't go after Donald Trump on jobs. They can't go after Donald Trump on rebuilding the military. They can't go after Donald Trump on lowering taxes for all Americans. They can't go after Donald Trump on deregulating uh, so that businesses can operate and, and continue to expand and hire more people. They can't touch the Republicans on matters uh, foreign policy. They can't touch them. So the only thing they can do is what? Play identity politics. Well, you can't vote for the Republicans. They're racist. That's what they have. The country is in terrific shape right now. The economy is terrific. It's only going to get better, and they know it. So they know they can't win on, hey, we'll do a better job than he is or the Republicans are. So we'll just have to do the, but they don't like black people. They don't like brown people. Make America great again means make America white again. They're trying to convince you that a red MAGA cap is the same thing as a white clan hood. Right? That's their narrative right now. That's all they've got. And so here comes Northam actually wearing a Democrat actually wearing the clan hood. Or, equally as outrageous, standing there in blackface next to the Klansman. And they're like, oh my God. What are we going to do? How can we call the Democrats racist if we've got this guy, which we would call racist, living among us as a Democrat? Democrat governor. A Democrat governor, by the way, who sat idly by during the campaign a year and a half ago as ads were run that Peter talked about of a a Confederate flag-waving pickup truck trying to run down little brown and black kids with a Gillespie bumper sticker on it suggesting that Gillespie and the Republicans are racists trying to run over and murder young minority children. I mean, the the height of racism. That's what they've said the Republicans are. Come to find out he's the one with the racist past. So they have no choice but to try to distance themselves from him and force him to resign. They cannot credibly criticize another party for being racist while having a racist governor representing the people of a swing state like Virginia. So they're calling on him to resign over this, which would mean what? It would mean the elevation of the lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax, to the governor's office. And lo and behold, what happens in this very, the beginning of this week, and in fact over the weekend, we get a reminder of credible claims of sexual harassment slash abuse against the Lieutenant Governor Fairfax. Now, when I say credible, I'm just talking about more than one source making these accusations. I will not be a Democrat. I will not be someone who says, got to be true, got to be true, got to be true, because the women said so. Believe her. Believe women. Believe all women. I'm not going to do that, what they did to Kavanaugh. I don't know if Justin Fairfax is guilty of these sexual assault allegations. But what's hilarious is the fact that Fairfax is actually blaming Northam, his boss, the governor, for those allegations resurfacing. The Washington Post reported yesterday that it was approached by a woman accusing Fairfax in 2017, not 30 years ago, not 40 years ago, two years ago, and investigated the claim yet never published a story for lack of any independent evidence. Of course, that never stopped the Washington Post from publishing stories of Christine Blase Ford and the rest of the liars against Kavanaugh, but I digress. 
The Post said the woman had not told anyone about it, and the account could not be corroborated while Fairfax denied it. The paper was unable to find other similar allegations against him among people who knew him in college, law school, and po- or politics. The, the allegations were first reported by Big League Politics, a news outlet that first published the yearbook image as well. Asked by a reporter if he suspects Northam uh, being responsible for the allegations revival, Fairfax responded, Does anybody think it's a coincidence that on the eve of potentially my being elevated, meaning to the governor's office, that that's when this uncorroborated smear comes out? End quote. In a statement shared to his official Twitter account, Fairfax denied the allegation, maintaining he has never assaulted anyone ever in any way, shape, or form, which, again, that's his denial, and I'm not going to be a, a sneaky, slimy, disgusting Democrat and say he's lying, believe all women. But I will say that it's pretty hilarious watching Northam being pressured to resign and watching Fairfax being smeared potentially by Northam. To the point where the Democrat Party in Virginia and perhaps beyond is in complete and utter disarray. I think it's, like I said, I'm, I'm suffering from schadenfreude right now. I am enjoying every single second of their pain. They deserve it. All of them. And oh, by the way, before I go back to the phones, the obvious reminder that Pete and I talked about as well, that the true outrage against Ralph Northam the governor of uh, Democrat governor of Virginia is about a yearbook photo from 30 years ago, as opposed to his comments about letting babies die horrible deaths from just a few days ago. Those were his words. They were not ambiguous. They were not stated under duress. They were not stated while you know uh, just speaking, um, uh, you know, a stream of consciousness. Without giving true thought to his words, they were slow, they were measured, they were deliberate, and he said babies should be allowed to be killed or die after they're born if that's what the mother desires. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. There's not a single person in the world that supports that. Most all- <sighs> Apparently there are P persons in the world that support that. Ralph Northam supports that. Kathy Tran, who wrote the bill, supports that. Andrew Cuomo and all of the Democrats in New York who voted for it support that. And now we find out that on the floor of the United States Senate, Senator Democratic Senator Patty Murray supports that because she officially blocked the unanimous consent bill offered by Ben Sass called the Born Alive Act, which would guarantee that a baby that survives an attempt to murder it a baby that survives an abortion is a living, breathing human being who must get medical care. She said, nope. So apparently there are a lot of people who believe it, and they're all reprehensible democrats. Gina is in Hudson, and I'm having a little problem with my line here. Again, let me see if I can punch Gina up, and if I can't, Samuel, maybe you could do that for me. Gina in Hudson, are you there? I am. How are you, Bob? I'm good, thank you. Go right ahead. So I just wanted to go back to the State of the Union, and since we have such a wonderfully unconventional president who um, speaks his mind and the truth, what I would love to see, wouldn't it be great if we had a couple of jumbotrons and the president put up the actual crime scene photos of MS-13, 
the Angel family's victims, the uh, people who are smuggled in in semi-trailers that uh, die of heat in uh, in the desert. Um, I think if we did that and then juxtapose it against uh, the wall around Nancy's vineyard and the wall around these uh, Democrats' house, and then just put up the words, do you think we need a wall? If we can't have that done at the State of the Union, maybe we need a conservative pact to run an ad like that for a couple weeks. I think the American people will finally actually see the real horrific results of this illegal immigration. See, the, I completely agree with the first part. It's got to be done at the State of the Union, Gina, uh, rather than a conservative pack running an ad. As we know, ads are going to hit a few, and they're going to miss a lot of people. Absolutely. The State of the Union is the only address where everybody who is watching, who is even remotely interested in this future of the country, and this is every year, but particularly right now at this divided time, Every Democrat will be watching to see what the bad orange man has to say. Every Republican will be watching to see what the President of the United States has to say. And every centrist who just doesn't know what to believe is going to tune in for themselves. So to me, this is the moment. He's got to do it. I agree. Feature the Angel family victims. Feature the MS-13 criminals. Feature the video that is that is going viral around the Internet right now of an MS-13 murdering uh, gang member murdering a man on the uh, uh, at the uh, subway station in New York. Uh, it is going on right now. This just happened this weekend. Um, we need to shine that spotlight on this uh, right now, and 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 then again say you, you you know these people came across a porous border because there was no barrier to stop them. Do you really see, as you said, do you really think that we do not need a border wall to stop people like this from getting in? I could not agree with you more, but it has to happen tonight. And I'm just begging the president not to squander this golden opportunity when all eyes in the world are on him. Anything else, Gina? No. I got, oh, I'm sorry, Gina. I thought I lost you, and then we were done. You said no, so that's a good thing. I feel I don't feel badly about disconnecting the call, but thank you for making that phone call. We got more of your phone calls in the final segment, which is coming up next on AM 1420. The answer. Um. I was just reading a uh, very strongly worded statement from Republican Senator Ben Sass responding to Democrats blocking his bill, particularly Democrat Senator Patty Murray blocking his born alive bill that would protect babies who survive abortions and mandate that they receive critical care. Ben Sass said yesterday, I don't care what party you're from. If you can't say that it's wrong to leave babies to die after birth, Get the hell out of public office. Senator Sass, I could not agree with you more. And I could not say it more directly. Thank you. Dave in Cleveland. Dave, you're on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning, sir. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. Thank God. It's been a long time. I've been disconnected four times, but that's because I was in a bad area. Well, I'm glad we got you on the air. Thank you, my man. I agree with that young lady about uh, calling people out. And what Trump should do today, because he's unconventional and he doesn't care. I mean, he cares, but he doesn't care. He should call out every Democrat congressman or senator that either still owes back taxes, like Elijah Cummings or Blumenthal, that, um, you know, faked his service. And because there's people that will watch tonight that don't get this on CNN, on MSNBC, and any of this stuff. He should call every one of these people that oppose him out. Kamala Harris, 
having an affair for 20 years with the mayor of California to get her political career and now lives in a $40 million mansion. How did she make that money? He should totally call these people out, and then everybody in the country would finally see how dirty these people are. Well, I'll tell you what, my friend. I appreciate the sentiment and the goal. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you, though, very respectfully. And the reason why is this. The one thing the president cannot do is allow the Democrats to claim victim status. The one thing he cannot do is go on the personal attack against them for their own moral failings. And let's remember, if he calls out Kamala Harris for uh, the adultery that she participated in with uh, Willie Brown, then, of course, people are going to call out him for his adulterous behavior. Uh, and, of course, we know he is on his third wife, and he's got a bit of a sordid New York playboy history. Uh, you don't want to get into the name-calling. You don't want to get into the personal attacks. To me, you attack them on policy. Not on personal shortcomings, not on taxes, their own taxes, etc., but on policy. Point out that the number one job of all elected officials to the federal government, be they presidents, senators, congress members, or beyond, the number one responsibility they have is to preserve and protect the Constitution and the people of the United States of America. And guess what? We are under attack. We are under attack. We are under assault by a great, great scourge of drugs and gang members and criminals and more coming across our southern border. And it's their personal and professional responsibility to stop that. They don't have a position to negotiate from. This is what they are sworn to do. This is what their oath mandates that they do. And that's what the president needs to remind the people tonight. Remind them that the Democrats have an oath and a responsibility to protect uh, the American people just like Republicans do. And if they choose to abdicate that responsibility because of their own political motivations in 2020, then they should be treated accordingly. And then the president should announce that the Army Corps of Engineers will begin designing and building the wall on Monday. That's all the time that I've got. Thanks to my guest today, Eric Trump, Congressman Jim Jordan, and Peter Kersenow. Thanks to you for listening. We'll have reaction to the State of the Union tomorrow. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.